We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and regular guest on the show, Matt Brooks. Fellas, how we doing? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be back. It's uh, it's been, it's only been a couple of weeks, but it feels like a big break. Two weeks is a lot. We're 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 doing this stuff quite a bit. It's been a total pleasure to be on with you guys this much. So I'm excited to be here. Talk about one of my favorites today. <laughs> favorites is a term that uh, Matt uses quite loosely, uh, evidently. <laughs> And we are talking Torian Prince today. We're going to give you his season review. Before we jump into that, though, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. This episode is also brought to you by Blue Chew and betonline.ag. But guys, talking about Torian Prince's season, obviously, he got a lot of hate from Nets Twitter. Give me a quick summary of it. Expensive. <laughs> Very expensive. Well, not even expensive yet. It'll be expensive next year. But expensive in... In terms of money, in terms of the expectations and not meeting them, it, it was it just felt like an investment that really didn't pan out so far. Um, and he may be more than anybody the guy that suffered the most from the lack of talent around him at certain points. Yeah, yeah, promise unfulfilled. Two words. That's what I want to go with. Mm. 
I like that. I mean, you guys pretty much know that I think he kind of fooled us all in the preseason. Even early in the season, he had a couple games where you're like, oh, wow, this guy could be like a perfect complement on this team, shooting like 40% the first, mo- first month of the season. And then just things like consistently got worse. And like Matt said, I felt like when Kyrie went out and then things got worse and worse, like his play continued to drop. He definitely played better with other you know stars and other playmakers around him because we saw when he tried to play make himself, it just didn't really go well. But um, leading up to that, what was one of your favorite moments of this season for Torian Prince, if there are any? I can't, I can't say preseason, right? That was like, yeah, right <laughs> good in the preseason. Although that defense and Anthony Davis wasn't too bad, actually. Uh, yeah, like he was great in the preseason. The first month of November, he was shooting the ball pretty well. I'm just looking back at it, like 41 percent, 42, yeah, right now. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at, and then it just, it just falls off dramatically once you get to like. December. Uh, the one that really stood out to me, he had a couple of five assist nights, which I know doesn't sound like a ton, but at the time it was like, I remember, I think it might even have been been against like Charlotte or Miami. He was starting doing those little dump off passes to the bigs. He was finding guys and it was like, wow, this guy's really starting to look comfortable. Like maybe this investment was even better than what we all expected. Like, yeah, some of the shot creations a little weird and he's a little chucky at moments, but you know, he's. it looked like he was moving the ball pretty well, and then those assists fell off pretty much with the rest of his game. Um, so that that was kind of the – not a ton of highs, honestly. <laughs> I'm reaching for a whole, whole lot of nothing. Yeah, I put this out there for Nets Twitter to respond to so I didn't have to necessarily be the, the bad guy. There were some mildly positive responses for some people. Some people were saying, uh, at basketball BSQT, so easily he's passing and playmaking, stepped up a level this year when the Nets needed someone to help create. I mean, it sort of reflects what Matt said a little bit there. But again, he did still average only 1.8 assists per game, yep. despite those five assists nights, because again, the ball hogging tendencies. Um, I think the majority of the responses were when they benched him, uh, including from <laughs> our guy at Evan de Cruz, Nets uh, a lot of responses there. Uh, at True Nation probably had the only other positive response. And I think it's actually a decent one. Him being the only net to stand up and defend his teammates. There were times yeah. where it's just like Prince is the guy that's going to you know, get in your face. And, you know, if he's going to knock someone on the ground, he's going to be there to stand up for you. Which is, you know, he's a good teammate. That's That's a quality. Yeah, he has a little toughness. He wasn't scared to get a tech. I think you appreciate that. I mean, going way back to early in the season, that one of that first game against Houston, he hit six threes. Yeah, he like kind of popped off, had the rebounding game. You're like, okay. Then the games Matt mentioned, you know, a couple assists. There was a game against the Hawks in uh, December, early December, when everyone was injured. And it was like, oh, wow, maybe Torian Prince could be this guy that fills in. He had 23, six and four. And you're like, oh, wow, really efficient numbers. And then it was just like constantly all over the place. Do you guys think well, like one reason everybody had high expectations for Prince was just like what the Nets have done with players in the past, player development, and then this year he was a guy that we just really didn't see benefit from the staff? I just think it's because they paid him right away. Like the team's usually so – they either underpay guys or they drag their feet. Like the Karis Le- – I mean, I guess the Karis LeVert extension was like kind of at a weird like in-between time. Like they just kind of did it all of a sudden on his birthday. But for the most part, it really felt like they – I don't know. It was very uh, atypical for the Nets to just be like, yep, this is our guy. We've seen enough. He hit whatever, some stupid amount of the threes, 50% against the Lakers in two preseason games. And they're like, yeah, good enough. We're good. And it's like, well, that's what he was, you know, billed as, as a, a three-point shooter. And I don't really think that was ever the question. So it was kind of like, I, I, I don't know. I think that because he was paid way early, like I'm always, especially for guys like TP that are on their second teams, 
you know, th- this is going to sound like, you know, I'm not trying to be like a, a mean or anything, but I also like a little bit of me is like, I kind of want you to prove it a little bit and like prove people ro- like the doubters like, essentially wrong and prove people that your weaknesses aren't really as bad as they are. So they didn't really go through that. They just paid him. And I just think that really worked against him in like every way possible. Yeah, it's a, it's a point that I didn't really think of. And again, that's why we have Matt on the show to bring up those salient sort of points because mm. it, it's, I think that obviously there's only so much that can be said of the coaching staff because you know, you're not going to hit 100. You know, I, I don't think I've ever used a baseball reference on the Brooklyn Buzz before. <laughs> uh, but you're never going to be able to get all of them. You know, there aren't a million Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie's in the world. You know, the Brooklyn Nets training staff and coaching staff are fantastic. But at the same time, there are just people that don't fit. And, you know, this, it's weird. It kind of reminds me of Alan Crabbenway's. I mean, it's probably apples and oranges too a little bit. But, you know, the, the tenures of Alan Crabben and Torian Prince, you know, could go down the same route. You know, we could end up having to give up, you know, Prince, to, despite the fact that we did make a, a major investment in him uh, through a trade, uh, you know, picks or, or, and the like, and might have to dump him in, in ways as well to, to, to improve the team in the offseason. So I, I think that there are a lot of reasons why Prince went wrong, and I don't think the coaches uh, should be the main one. No, I don't think it was the coaches to blame. I think that's just like some of the carried expectation being like, hey, we saw players come in. We, there was promise of Prince in Atlanta too. It's not like he was a terrible player. Like there was good nights. It was kind of like the injury, the new coaching staff didn't really like him. But I like the point you brought up, Matt. I think specifically, you know, giving that contract and then like the defense not being there where it's like, yo, you're earning a contract, you're going to yep. ball out. And one thing you can control is like the effort you're putting in defensively and like the consistency on the floor and like the effort. And I think at times the effort was definitely not there. The lack of focus was a thing. So I, the contract thing was a great point as well. I believe he was a restricted free agent at the end of the year. So there wasn't necessarily a need to give him that extension. Yeah, well, I mean, with everything that's going on, um, with the way that salaries are shaking out, and to, I mean, for one, I don't even know if they'd want to bring him back, and now they're in, like, a really tough position where they have to either hope that somebody, like, will look at his numbers from two years ago and be like, oh, he shot 40%, you know, and and, and hope that they swing on that. I mean, nobody's going to do that. Like, I don't think there's, like, you know, even the most negligent teams aren't just going to look at <laughs> 40% and be like, all right, that's all I need to see. But... uh but, you know, if if they could take that back, I think more than ever they would because they could either bring him back for a really um, small cap hold with everything that's going on in the world or they could just choose to do, you know, not even go through this in the first place. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough look. I think the only thing, like the best case scenario is that they use him as like a salary filler and like a big star trade because the opposing team is, you know, less likely to care about their cap if they're entering a rebuild and they like the other assets they're getting. But I agree. They definitely would go back on and probably give him if they could, like, half the amount, like, get them on a real cheap, like you mentioned, with the way free agency is going to go. But obviously, I already know the answer to this question, but I do have to ask, was uh, last year, was this season a success or disappointment for Torian Prince? Hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Um, he got better at rapping. I'll give him that. The music, <laughs> I the song he put out wasn't too bad. No, I mean, like, there were moments, and, like, I don't know. I... I I, I'm trying to find like a little bit of solace in in terms of what he put on the floor this year. Um, I mean, the weaknesses like we can we're gonna get into, but I I just don't know if there's one thing that I didn't already know about Torian Prince that he got suddenly better at. Like I the things that he was already good at, you know, being a three point shooter, albeit being a little bit streaky. 
uh, it was that except even more streaky. So I, I just don't really know like what you'd even be looking at. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a disappointment. It's the first disappointment of the season review series so far. Um, we'll obviously get to some strengths and weaknesses. Probably, again, few and far between. And this isn't a, a shit on Toy and Prince podcast because... At the end of the day, I think the reason why we are probably quite negative on him is because we did have some high hopes for him within this book and this franchise. 100%. I think you nailed it, Jack. Like, the fact is, going to the year, we just thought he could be this great complimentary piece, you know, could shoot 40% from three, would fit nicely these guys, showing potential defensively in the past. But the fact he didn't do that, I think, makes it a disappointing year. Now, getting to some of those strengths and weaknesses, what would you guys say are some of the strengths of Torian's game? I mean, his, I mean, his like, size and... and, and... You know, he's not, like, zippy. Good NBA zippy, body. But, yeah, that's his big strength right now. Uh, he's not, like, what, he's 26, right? So, yeah. I don't, th- he's obviously not going to grow beyond what he is. But if it's, like, that in-between game, like, whether he's just taking it to the rim or giving himself a little bit more of a floater, like, it just felt like the second that he put the ball on the floor after getting attacked off a closeout, you knew what shot was going up. It was something fading away. Or it was, you know, him trying to, like, force it in off glass. So I think that he, in in his defense, he's probably, you know, one or two shots away on offense. And, like, that's obviously easier said than done. But if he's able to do that or even just, like, become, like, a little bit more of, like, a mid-range pull-up artist, uh, you know, he's close to being something that I think is really interesting on offense. The defense is a whole different issue. And, I, I, I mean... He's between positions, and I just don't know what you do about that right now. You know, but we'll get into that in a second. But I, I think that the size and his potential to add one more thing and be interesting on offense would be my final answer. <laughs> yeah, for me, the strengths I had were his rebounding. I think that's the major mm-hmm. jump when we get to improvements as well. He had 16 games with eight rebounds or more. And like Matt alluded to, uh, I had this written down as well. He shot the ball well in November, in one month. And uh, again, it's the, the pointy month of the season. There is a lot of games during that period. Uh, so that's those are the two things that I had. And also, when Kyrie was out there, when Kyrie was healthy, as you know, I, I put that thing from Reddit up a, a week or so ago, you know, that's when Torian Prince did play some really good basketball. And I think that probably will also lead into when we talk about lineups around him. You know, when he has a, a guy with the talents of a Kyrie Irving next to him, it allows him to do a lot less and allow him to sort of make quick decisions where he doesn't have to overthink with the ball in his hands. And he shot the ball well. You know, in the two-man lineup data, you know, he was a positive. You know, he had like a... I think him and Kyrie had like a 58% um, true shooting percentage, which is pretty good. You know, it's above average. So I think that those are probably the minor strengths, uh, the real strengths that I think he had this season. You know, in a lot of Brooklyn buzzes when Nick and I were recapping the games, we would generally say, well, Prince rebounded the ball really well. You know, there's probably periods this season, you know, I could make an argument that he, outside of probably DeAndre Jordan, he's probably the next best rebounder. Yeah, I think you can make an argument. I think Jared Allen was good for periods too. I, but even, you know, Prince being having to play, you know, a position up, I think it makes his rebounding kind of stick out a little bit more. If he was playing the three, you'd be pretty happy with the production. But just getting to what I have for strengths, pretty much the same thing you guys had, just the NBA body. And I think like kind of what Matt alluded to in the offensive end is like he's not that far away from being a, a good NBA player or a good complimentary player. Like you can see the promise, but it's just all the inconsistency. So it's like strength is tied to his weakness in the sense of like yep. he's not super far off because you see peaks and you see flashes. It's just like, He's never done at a consistent level, like for more than a month. 
That's and a great point. I, I mean, that's pretty much my weakness for him is inconsistency and in decision making. What do you guys have? Uh, the defense, but I like that that it is tied into. I think those expectations of him, like showing, like just you feel like it's right on the edge for him. It's weirdly a huge weakness for him on offense. The defense is tough. Um, I, you know, I'd heard and read lots of things about, you know, his experience in Atlanta, and there's a lot of smart people covering him out there. They have a great beat over there um, of just guys that you know, know this stuff and are really keeping track of this night to night, much like we do. Honestly, I think, I think the net speed is fantastic for this stuff as well, but um, it was pretty early, like obvious early on. He was the king of botch closeouts, losing guys on back cuts. Like I, I was pulling my hair out for that first month. I actually felt like I genuinely felt bad after the first month of covering him. I was like, I am hammering this guy every single week on, you know, whatever a film study recap or the uh, trending up, trending down series that I was doing for Nets Daily. Uh, I was just like, dude, I need to like, st- <laughs> like, this is like internet bullying. And I'm just, I, it, it never, it improved. And it was weird. Like the things that appeared to be early strengths, like the post defense, he played up, uh, really, really played up nicely against uh, Paul Millsap. The strengths that were really apparent early in the Caesar season faded and then, Later in the season, the things that I really, you know, didn't like about him, he improved on closeouts. So, again, like, he's weirdly inconsistent, even with his strengths and weaknesses. Like, you just don't know what's his strength and what's a weakness week to week. It's the weirdest thing. I and I, don't, I really can't say I've watched a ton of players like him. The separation from a ceiling to floor is, like, ridiculous in terms of, like, what you can get from game to game. Yeah, it's. I think if he ever reaches a semblance of that ceiling, you know, it's hard to make like NBA comparisons for him, you know. It's almost just like sort of Jeff Green tendencies he has already in, and he's probably going to be one of those guys that's around the league for a while because he's like the perfect sort of prototype of what everyone wants an NBA player to be—a semi three and D guy who doesn't really do the three or D well, <laughs> at least at, at least currently, at least currently. You know, we I think his three point shooting is much better than what he did this season, and I think it's more reflective of November than it was of every other month, but. In, in the weaknesses, um, he's in the 8th percentile for points per 100 shot attempts. He's at less than 100, so he's a bad scorer. Um, he doesn't put his physical tools to good use. Just, you know, If you gave Joe Harris's effort and IQ to Torian Prince, he'd be a great defender. You know, that, That's saying something. Um, obviously, we've talked about basketball IQ on, on both ends of the floor. <laughs> uh, I think he's a bad driver of the basketball a lot of the time. You know, there are times where he can make some smart decisions, but I think there's times where he just looks like he's in no man's land uh, and he has just ball hockey tendencies. So yep. those those weaknesses generally, you know, they can be cleaned up in, in a way as well. I think basketball IQ is, is a hard one, but I think basketball IQ is one that you can sort of clean up if you don't make a player have to think too much. And yeah. when Toy and Prince doesn't have to think a lot and he just makes decisions and he just shoots the ball or he just passes the ball or he just rebounds the ball, he plays good basketball. Yeah, he wrote I to agree. the top of my uh, my like need like completely needless pump fake rankings. <laughs> oh, yeah. He just he'll play, he's like this serial. I'm trying to think of there's a guy I'm thinking of in the league, and I'm not I'm not sure if I'm going to think of it right now. I'll probably Joel Embiid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could do that. But there's like certain shooters. Oh, you know Dario Saric. I feel like is the guy I'm thinking of with this, where he has this like tendency to pump fake everything, and you're like, why? Like you're wide open. There's no reason to do that. Uh, so kind of like Rodion said all year. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So like he was like right away. I was like, wow, this guy has made it to my personal top ten rankings of 
uh, pump fake, needless pump fake artists <laughs> this, in the NBA. It's, it was it was a weird, just a weird year for him. It was. It was just like so all over the place. And he was a guy that you feel like just didn't really ever feel like he fit right in terms of like got an idea of like the offense, the defense, expectations, his role. It was just like all over the place. Obviously, a lot of that's on him. Some of it I feel is like is just like on the nets in terms of like things just were constantly changing from him for where he's going to being the guy that's come. Like Jack said, having life as simple as possible. And then like Kyrie and Karras go down. Maybe we're asking him to do too much. And I don't think he kind of knew what to do in that situation. But getting away from there. There's no shortage of action going on in our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the MJ documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. Visit betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to bluechew.com. Blue Chew has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They got the same active ingredients that Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them any time of day, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com. Get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 for shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. What would be your ideal lineup for Torian Prince? Uh, uh, what's Washington starting? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> No, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do him like that. I think, like, look, he's fine as a eighth to ninth man. He's a very expensive eighth to ninth man, getting paid like what fourteen and a half million a year. Um, maybe in a really limited usage role. So if you're playing him, you know, I it was weird. Like I thought that the the returns of playing him next to Joe Harris it would give him all these open shots, but. Even with him being wide open, I actually felt like it was almost worse for him to be open. He's one of those weird players where it's like, if you give him too much space, he almost like gets in his own head. Like, it's a little bit better when the spacing's clogged, when he has someone defending him. It's like, he has like the the Kobe mentality, but like, it's sometimes in the worst way possible where I'm like, man, that's a wide open shot. You got to knock that down. So yeah, I don't know. Like, does he need to be in a in an offense that's completely starved for three-point shooting? I, I just don't know. I, I almost wonder that. Yeah, I sort of had him as like just the fifth sort of option. If he's your fifth starter, you know, and, and maybe, you know, a guy off the bench is a flamethrower, you know, if he never develops those tendencies as on the defensive end. But I think, you know, hypothetically, if we were to have him into the 2021 season and, you know, Kevin Durant's healthy and he's playing small forward and Kevin Durant's playing power forward then maybe he's a lot better and Kyrie Irving's healthy because he's not, he's just not doing anything. And maybe he's allowed to just purely focus a, a little bit more on the defensive end and just shoot some three balls. You know, when Kyrie, like I said, when Kyrie Irving was out there, as a lot of people have said, you know, he plays, he's, 
he just played decent basketball. You know, November was generally the month that Kyrie Irving was healthy, and that's when Torian Prince was playing quite good basketball. Um, I think he needs guys that are high usage next to him. You know, if we were to keep Spencer as well, you know, Spencer likes to keep the ball in his hands. Karras likes to have the ball in his hands. I think Torian Prince would benefit from that. So I think that there is a way that we see an improved Torian Prince in 2020, 2021. Maybe it's me drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, being a bit too optimistic. But, you know, there, there is, maybe it's because of just the physical tools and, and what he has shown in very, very minor glimpses because he had it. He's, he's, a, he's a better Atlanta Hawk than he is a Brooklyn Met. Yeah. And I think you, I mean, you have a fair point about next year and maybe him being a little bit better. It's like most players on the Nets, especially like the role guys, will have likely better seasons playing next to Kyrie and KD, maybe not production-wise, but probably efficiency. So I would say somewhere where... He just like doesn't have to do much and he's just like the fifth guy on the court and you're just not really depending on him for a ton where you can go by, hey, maybe one night he'll knock down one three, maybe the other night he'll knock down five, maybe one night he'll be like, oh, a six. So it's just like in a role where you're not super uh, dependent on his production, which is like sad to say, but I just feel like that's kind of the role it is. That's why I feel like he works out as a bench guy going forward because like you just really don't know what you're getting with him. Let me ask you this. Do you think if, like, this is just a completely weird hypothetical. I was originally thinking of Claxton for this, but let's paint, like, so they they had this need for a guy that can play the four. If they had just shoehorned Kuroks in, maybe after December, once his, you know, all of his summer uh, trouble sort of settled out, settled out I guess, um, if they had just given Rodion's Kuroks all of TP's minutes, do you think that the Nets would have been more or less successful? Because I I'm in the camp of, like, I think because they paid him so much money or they're going to pay him so much money, when you do that, like you make that type of a uh, a financial long-term move or even, you know, two-year move, you almost feel like you have to play the guy that you paid a bunch of money. I'm interested to see if you guys think there would be a huge difference or if they actually did the right thing with TP. I'll let you hit this, Jack. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Obviously, I don't... I... I think there's a, a part of Kenny Atkinson that just relies on the guys who are more experienced more, and he just doesn't, he has no, little to no trust to for guys like Kuritz and Klax, and will only throw them out there, you know, if it is absolutely necessary. Like, in weird ways, he, I feel like he's had, he's, he had more trust this season in guys like Theo Pinson um, and Shana Musa than, you know, guys with ball-handling tendencies than, you know, Kuritz and Klax. And, uh, I think that I think we did a you know polls and stuff about like you know courts and Prince and, and all those sort of guys before. It's it's really hard to sort of say. I, I think Toy and Prince deserved uh, a, a certain portion of of playing time. You know we invested in him. You get an opportunity to show that. But I think it it did take too long for for him to be benched, uh, and it did take. And there was a large portion of this season where Rodion's didn't get the, the time on the court that he probably deserved. You know, there were times where he didn't deserve to play any time. That's just why he went back to the G League, got some reps. But I, I think that the Nets 4 situation has always been, you know, one of the more pressing uh, for this franchise for a, a pretty long time, at least since we've been doing the buzz. So I think it is a little bit of Colin May and Colin Bay. Yeah, I think you look at it this way. I can't say for a fact that if they played Rodion's instead, the Nets would have been better because I think Rodion's has a lot of the same issues that Torian Prince has in terms of like inconsistent play, especially this year with all the hesitations and then just mm. like him just 
feeling weird in terms of like Kenny and his minutes. But I agree with Jack in the sense that like, I think Kenny should have opened it up and said, Hey, you two can compete for these minutes or Hey, even play Wilson Chandler more early on. Obviously they couldn't play him to a certain extent because they had to wait till the suspension was over. But I feel like it would Chandler, at least you kind of knew what the floor was and mm. you do some of the basic things for you in terms of like, you know, a veteran team But Rodion's like, there's definitely a hit or miss. Like I can't say for a fact, I feel like the Nets would have been better because I don't know how Rodion's would have played this season. I thought he had some good moments, but there was also stretches where I understood why Kenny didn't play him, like miss rotations, constantly hesitating, and just stupid fouls. But like I said, some of that was also like every minute was like so valuable to Rodion's, especially coming off a year where he started so many games. You guys will know I'm like irrationally high on Kuroks. I, I like I fully admit it. I'm like still high off last season. <laughs> I, I really I I have no idea why. Like I I like I think the what he could be, but. Um, no, I, I actually think the right, and it's I think the biggest reason, you know, um, other than the, the whole DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen thing, was that he just like with Kenny Atkinson, it was night after night he did switch up the two guard position, which was, you know, I guess at the time sort of made sense, but even then it was like, man, you're really switching, <laughs> you know, d- you know Garrett Temple for Karis LeVert when there's just yeah. like this guy nose diving at the four. Like I, I mean, I I actually feel bad for Prince. I feel like. He almost was done a disservice by the coaching staff by, you know, throwing him in there next to the starters and just being like, hey, you're going to figure it out, you're going to figure it out, you're going to figure it out, and it just never happened. So, I, you know, I, 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 not to, you know, he's obviously professional, he's paid pretty handsomely now, but uh, I don't know if even he was put in the best position. Yeah, I agree. I feel it was just like a weird situation for him. And then when people started going down, it was like even weirder. And he really didn't. I don't think he ever really knew what was expected of him. And I feel like some of the minor complaints we've heard about Kenny is like not really explaining roles to players. Yeah. But getting away from there, what improvements would you guys like to see from Torian Prince if he's on the team next season? Uh, I So the defense, I, I like... I, I want to be I part of me wants to be the guy that's like harping on defense over and over and over <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that's just very on brand. Uh, but I'm not going to do it because you know what? I don't know with him. It's like this this thing with awareness and like missing rotations. I just don't know how much that's really going to improve. Like, I, I think the the train for him becoming this elite defender is, you know, maybe not fully past the station, but we're, we're getting there. Like, you know, yeah. the last car, we're going to have to jump and and fly onto the tracks and try to grab the, that last railing. Like we're really, we're really hanging on to not too much right now. So um, I would really say more of that shot creation, as I said before, like I do feel like there is a world in which he becomes just a little bit more of a bench scoring punch. And the, the thing that he can improve is if, if he can just be, you know, either it's becoming ambidextrous around the rim you know, getting a little bit better with like an up and under or something like that. Cause he flashed that here and there and you're like, Oh yeah, this guy's like decently athletic. And it was actually once again, early in the season. Uh, but with him, it's just like, I need to see a little bit more. This floater game is a mess. I can even pull up the numbers really quick, but it's, it's like, there's just something missing with him and he gets not even just tunnel vision when he goes to the basket, but like a sense of, you can feel it just watching him. He isn't quite sure what he's going to do, but the defense knows what he's going to do. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an issue. And he, yeah, here we are. So he shot 33.3% for mid-range and then the uh, like floater territory, 36.1%. And even around the rim, 51.3%. Uh, I just wrote about Musa and I killed him for shooting 50% around the rim. Uh, you know, 
Prince, that's not much better uh, on a whole. And he's a lot bigger body too. Yes. So it's it's a tough look. I, I something's got to change when once he uh, once he gets run off the three. Yeah, I, I think that it's a it's where you're weighing up what you want Toyin Prince to be and what he can be and what he ultimately will be in, in the league and and on this Brooklyn Nets team in the future. You know, we've seen flashes of defense. You know, we talked about the preseason against Anthony Davis because obviously it's a lot easier to play preseason basketball in a, in a different country when guys aren't throwing, you know, they're absolutely 100%, 110% weight. But there are flashes where you'd be like, okay, well, Torian Prince can play a little bit of defense. Maybe he just turned into a version of just a, a flamethrower shooter who can do some defensive things, but overall is a below average defender. Because right now he's worse than a below average defender. So I think that the best version that we probably see of Torian Prince is that, you know, he becomes, you know, he hones that three-point shooting and that becomes his area of strength. And he sort of tries to become a bit smarter or his, his role becomes lesser on, on the defensive end of the floor. So he's not guarding, you know, the, the number one wings or the number one power forwards, or he's not playing above position. So he's probably, you know, not necessarily losing the energy on that end of the floor. I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying that I don't think he has the requisite talent at this point or the, the, the consistency or IQ to put it all together. So it's it's what version is Toyin Prince going to be? There are lots of room for improvements. Um, it's, a, it's, I guess, where he chooses to hone that in, how the Nets decide him, to, how the Nets want him to hone that in, or, or another team uh, for, for that matter. Would you guys rather see Prince make small improvements like across the board and, you know, be like, more competent, you know, just average in NBA categories, or would you like to see him make a drastic jump in one area? That's a really, really good question. Um, you know, like part of me wants to say, well, there's like so much of his game that I just want to improve, but I also think like he could just be like the weirdest level of being a specialist, just like an all offense guy off the bench. Um, I'm really like I'm I I feel like I'm really hammering this home. If he can just be like a total scoring punch and just be a little bit more interesting once he puts the ball on the floor. And part of it's like his his ball handling is really like just suspect. Like to the point where I'm like <laughs> I just don't even like maybe that's the thing I really want him to improve on. And that's that's actually I think of really anything the thing that you can improve upon the most as a player shooting. Some of it is is just like through repetition. Some things are built in, but. Ball handling is something that guys can like improve almost overnight. Um, you look at Jalen Brown on the Celtics, or, or even Tatum, like or even these guys. Robinson. Like, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. God. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He's he, he just slipped that in there on you, like you were just saying like games, and then he slipped. I heard Robinson. Mitchell, and I was like, I'm, I in my head, I was like, yeah, Donovan Mitchell, and I'm like, wait, no, 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 not not Donovan. Mitchell. <laughs> I heard what I wanted to hear. No, I mean like. I think there's a world where you can where you can improve that, but uh, I I guess I would say those one or two skills. I I want to see him become a little bit more of a, or I guess the the big changes would be becoming more of a scorer. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I think I just wanted to be a shooter. You know, not necessarily like a scorer because when he puts the ball on the floor, when he drives, when he tries to do more than I think his skills his his skills right now allow him to do. You know, I, I think right now his best skill, and even though he shot it poorly, I still think his best skill is three-point shooting. You know, obviously rebounding is an effort-style thing. He's got size, so, you know, that's certainly a, a good skill of his. If he can shoot and rebound the ball well, whether offensive, defensive, or both, you know, I, I think that 
we'd even see marked improvements across the board in terms of his efficiency in one area. And if we have, you know, Toyin Prince and Joe Harris shooting the ball 38% plus rather than just Joe Harris and then, you know, guys sort of shooting the ball well here and there in, in months and, in, and inconsistencies, then I think the team would make an improvement. Um, and, you know, for Prince to be a defensive liability, I think that the team has improved enough to sort of cover that in a way. Um, if he's playing in a, in a bench role, I think that there are smart enough guys to sort of cover him and, and, and intelligent enough guys to cover him. Um, I think he's good enough to, to guard, you know, wings that are coming off the bench for sure uh, as well. So I think that if the load is taken off him and he's guarding, you know, lesser versions of the, the sort of top superstars in the league, then we'll probably see him play better defense too. So for me, it's it's probably just the shooting. Um, I'm, I'm being, I guess, a bit narrow. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think I could hear arguments from both sides because if he did, you know, improve in every area, you're looking at like a solid bench piece that you can plug into different ways. But if he provided you that special skill set, being that, you know, he had that in-between offensive game and was comfortable with the ball or being the elite three-point shooter, it just makes makes the Nets offense next year that much more dynamic. So I'd probably lean with that too. I mean, even if you gave Torian Prince, like, let's just assume he shoots closer to his average next season. And then you give him Joe Harris's decision making off like three balls where he's either taking a shot or driving and he has it with like a purpose. And I think that's also part of the problem with Prince, like Matt mentioned, is like he, you're not really sure. He's not really sure. The defense isn't like it's like kind of knows that he's probably going to miss the shot. But like anytime he drives, he almost like stops midway through the drive and slows down instead of like attacking the basket hard and trying to go aggressive. So it'd be an interesting year. I think Prince is probably a guy, if they don't trade him, is a guy that's going to have like a lot of intrigue and could be a piece off the bench that's either really good or could be very bad. Mm-hmm. But talking about his position, um, I don't even know what we call it. Probably more of a forward, a small forward. Where would you guys rank him in the league? All right, is this where I can oh. jump in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I went via RPM power forwards and right in that ranking Torian Prince ranks 69th and you know, he's played <laughs> out of games played he's you know 69 uh, 64 games the most out of probably those guys around that range but other names that I'll throw into the mix that you can probably ask uh, say about him Semi Ojale, Nemanja Bielitsa, uh, Maxi Kleber, Bobby Portis, James Johnson, Larry Markinen, uh, Nemanja Bielitsa, uh, uh, who else is in here that makes a bit of sense? Dario Sharish, a guy that we've mentioned, Marlon Williams, I guess, uh, and Jeremy Grant for Denver. I guess out of those guys, I would probably say that Toyin Prince is probably at the bottom of that list still. Yeah, the probably Bobby only. Portis is the, uh, the 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 ultimate New York versus New York most hated <laughs> by fans, <laughs> at least. Uh, you know, power forward battle or whatever the hell position Bobby Portis plays with his 0.1 blocks. Um, yeah, man, that is, I, I, I agree with that for the most part. That's a, that's a, like some of those guys that you're, you're like putting them in, you know, against like, I'm like marking, I'd much rather have marking even, even in a down year. So um, yeah, I, I would say he's near the bottom of that. If not the very bottom. Yeah, I would say at the bottom, I feel like a lot of those guys Jack mentioned are guys that were like, yo, he'd be a great fit on the nets. You know what I mean? Yep. Like we we thought about in like trades like Maxi Kleba, like that what? Like you're telling me like Torian Prince is around the same of that? Get out of here. You know what I mean? Even like James Johnson, who had like a rough year last year, I feel like I at least have a better idea who a lot of these players are over Torian Prince. I would say he's better than, you know, semi Ojale, who doesn't even really play much for Boston. And like Bobby Portis is super crazy and inconsistent, but still like I would I would take pretty much all those guys over Prince. 
Well, Semi Ojale, uh, the the famous, I think, like one game Giannis stopper a couple yeah. of years ago. I mean, so you he know. does play good defense. I'll give Semi that, but like offensively, his his shot is rough. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's not great. But yeah, there's and but funnily enough, near that sort of range as well is Jeff Green, uh, Markeith <laughs> Morris, PJ Washington, the rookie. Funnily enough, the RPM for PJ Tucker is not very friendly, and also for Carmelo Anthony, Carmelo Anthony is one of the worst in the league. So, mm. and the, the names I did mention, you know, the, the Klebers and, and Markmans of the world have it a, a doubly better RPM than he does. And obviously, this isn't a, the, the be all and end all stat. I'm just looking at it because I wanted to get an idea of where Toyin Prince was, you know, on the offensive defensive end. Obviously, RPM high, reflects players better in certain ways, but I, I think that the Looking at the, pretty much most of this list, you know, Toyin Prince, and he he's played the most games. He's almost given the most minutes out of pretty much all these guys, other than probably like a a Bielitsa and, and a PJ Tucker, to be fair. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he, he's in. I'm looking at the RPN list right now. He is uh, only what he's point oh seven above Cristiano Felicio, who is yeah. <laughs> my favorite yeah. still-in-the-league guy. I'm like, wow, that's crazy that <laughs> Felicio... I mean, Felicio it, has a pretty good contract, too, doesn't he? Oh, he's making bank. When they signed that, I was like, what are they doing over there? <laughs> but there you go. I mean, you know, like, that's not necessarily the guy that you want to be in. Like, it's... So, I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky spot. It's a really tricky spot. But, yeah, I mean, RPM, obviously not end-all, be-all, but... It, it does, I think, for certain things, it gives you a, a general idea of, like, what class guys are in. Yeah, and I think, like, it pretty much matches the eye test in terms of Prince. Like, he's a bench player right now. You could even argue that maybe he's, like, a low-end bench player. He's not a guy that you necessarily want to count on. But do you guys have any other questions or thoughts you wanted to get on Torian Prince? Uh, sure. Does he? So let's say they keep him. Does How many minutes per game is he playing in an NBA Finals <laughs> in NBA Finals, damn. In NBA um, Finals, let's say they keep him, they can't get rid of him, or they don't want to. And how much did like Richard Jefferson play for the Cleveland Cavaliers that year? Um, <laughs> hey, Richard Jefferson depends on which year. Productive. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's and like maybe it's more more of like a Channing Fry. He just comes off the bench and shoots a few threes and goes to the bench. Um, I would say at the highest of ends, twenty four, and at the lowest of ends, fourteen. I mean, honestly, depending on the upgrades the Nets make, like we're talking about the NBA Finals, he could be a guy that's completely at the end of the rotation and only gets minutes in certain games. Like where you're talking about, like he's not playing in game seven. Yep. Yeah, I could see him being like a guy that'll get like 12 minutes you know of what burn. I mean, because he, yeah, like I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that it also drastically depends on if they upgrade the four position and like what other forwards they add to the roster. But if they add like another competent backup forward, that could take his minutes. I would probably, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't completely rule out him getting like zero minutes. But I feel like it's even more likely that he's not on the team if the Nets make some stars trade because he just is like one guy that uh, salary fits like to give you that boost with a Karis Levert or a Spencer Dinwiddie to get you up to that real money. Well, yeah, and like even like if they wanted to keep Wilson Chandler, like I, I mean, look, Wilson Chandler. There are certain things that I'm like, ooh, I don't know what that looks like in a year. Uh, he's obviously a little bit of an older player. But he's a really smart, high IQ guy. Maybe he's not guarding the more dynamic athletes on the court. But, I mean, game to game, yeah, maybe he can give you a little bit of an old-school Richard Jefferson type of feel. I like that comp a lot. Uh, or just that name thrown out there by Jack. Um, 
that, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know, man. I just don't know when I'd be in a position where I'm trusting Prince. I think it's very easy to get high on his upside, but unless things shake out way differently next year, I, I really am like a, I, what is he, average maybe like 10, 12 minutes a game. The highs being like a 20-minute, maybe 18-minute game, and then the next one would be near a, a DNP or a DNP. I could really just see them like playing with his minutes all over the place. Yeah, and I think like he's a guy that could be drastically impacted by who they sign in free agency. Like if they add a guy yeah. like Mo Harkless or something, like not to say that's a guarantee or it's likely, but like I would rather get Mo Harkless minutes than Torian Prince. Yeah, big time. Me too. So, I I love Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless, Tory Tory Craig, all these guys that really can't shoot threes. Yeah. <laughs> that uh that I just like for you know for for reasons of of one side of the court. Um. Yeah, I would just feel more confident. Because the problem with him is, like, I just... He shows signs on both sides, but he isn't really somebody you can rely on on either end of the court. And I just think, like, for what the market's going to provide, you can sign somebody for a fraction of his cost. And I think you could get somebody that you feel really reasonably um, confident about, that they're going to give you real stuff on one end of the floor. Exactly. I think you can feel like this guy's going to do this on a regular basis where a Torian Prince, you just really don't know. So... I, I feel like this is going to go down as an, this is going to be one of the bad contracts or extensions that uh, Sean Marks has given out. He hasn't given out many, but this is definitely one that I think he looks back on. He's like, eh. Jack, anything else you want to throw out there on Torian? Do you guys think uh, he'll be on the team next year? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> With no enthusiasm, clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the lack of enthusiasm. I don't know what in the heck you're going to like how you're going to be able to move him, I guess it would be, I mean, like, honestly, you know, there, there's a world in which I'm like, you should, you should really try to move for a max level player. One, because that'd be great to put a max level player on the nets just for talent reasons alone. But two, like he is just in that sort of a trade salary filler and every Mm -hmm. way in, in, in shape or form. Um, So I think that that's what his value is right now to the nets is like, you know, if, you know, unless he really does improve in the ways that we mentioned, he is that guy that makes salaries match. So, but if they can't do that and they can't hit that home run sort of swing, then I do think he's probably going to be back. I, I don't know how else you'd move him unless he's attached to a pick or something like that. I think that would probably be the most likely scenario that you mentioned, Matt. You know, combining him with Karis LeVert in Torian Prince's contract would get you up to 28 mil. That's, you know, max money. You know, or you you pair him up with Spencer Dillon, you get up to 22 mil. The other scenario I could possibly see, if, like, the Nets aren't able to hit on a star, but maybe they're able to acquire, like, a role player or something, they packaged him with Jared Allen. And maybe they have to put a pick in there, too, but that would be an option for them to upgrade somewhere on the roster maybe specifically the position Torian Prince plays. Like, I think you could, you know, get some feel out for there, especially if you're trading Jared Allen, a young center. The team is probably interested in young players, and they'll be okay, or they could sell themselves on Torian Prince for two years, and maybe he can be something. Would it be like a – was James Johnson a free agent this year? It's funny we mentioned him. <laughs> uh, I believe he has a player option for, like, 15 mil, which I would assume he'll take. Oh, yeah. I would I would definitely take the uh, the over on him on accepting that. I mean – 16 you, mil player option. Oh, yeah. there you go. That that actually weirdly matches perfectly. It's obviously not the deal you're looking for. I think you'd want somebody a little bit more talented than James Johnson, although I think – it seems like Minnesota enjoyed him while he was there. But, yeah, you do somebody like that where they have – 
you know, a contract that may or may not be from 2016, 2017, one of those big bloated contracts and you, and you take Prince and, and Jared Allen, I'd, I'd have to look at this. I haven't quite gotten into fake trade season, but um, I think there is a world where they can make that happen. I'm happy you brought that up. If Houston goes back to adding a center, I think Jared Allen would be a guy that would have interest there. He's one of the people I traded my, my fake thing, uh, fake, you know, um, NBA offseason thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So so I feel like that could make sense, but that'd be if Houston went back to having a center. I think it'd be interesting too is like you look at the three team possibilities. Maybe the team that you're trading with doesn't have interest in Torian Prince or Jared Allen, but you could find a third team and then, you know, you figure something out. I don't think like there's not no way to move them. It just definitely got harder after the season. Yeah, but, I think you nailed it on the head there with that last point. Uh just a uh you know, just a, I, I think, you know, I, it'll be it'll be a real this is the next test for marks. I think is, yeah. is TP is a great example of that, of that, you know, this guy, if they can figure out a way to put him into something and on top of just actually getting a real contributing player, um, it, it'll be another great marks moment, I think. I'll yeah. leave it at that. If he's able to kind of like clean up his mistake, even like Alan Crabby had to pay to get rid of it. But at the end of the day, you don't really care about losing the picks when you're able to sign KD and Kyrie. But that wraps it up for today. There's our Torian Prince season review. Matt, thank you for hopping on. Jack, always a pleasure. And like I mentioned before, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsterPublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.